the healing of a blind man at Bethsaida. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, Don't go into the village. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Good morning, everyone. My name's Ross. I'm the pastor here. If we haven't met, glad to have you with us. It is school holidays, so there's a few people away and uh, a few people visiting. Um, but thanks for being with us. It is mid-year. It is... Uh, a bit cold and miserable, if you're feeling like me who hate the cold. And it is good time to reflect on just what we're on about as a church, uh, just to think about who we are, where we're headed. Uh, so this week and next week, we're just doing a couple of talks just to think about vision. What are we doing as a church? So this week, next week sort of goes together um, just to help us refocus on uh, why we're here. So thanks for being here. And I'm going to pray now that God will help us to just understand his word and understand um, how that applies for us as a church and us as individuals. Let's pray. Dear Father, I do thank you for uh, revealing yourself to us through Jesus Christ, your son. We thank you for the gospel of Mark, that it tells the story and uh, shows who Jesus is so clearly. But yet, Lord, sometimes we need to sit down in quietness like this morning and just to reflect on who Jesus is and what he came to do. Amen. Seems like everybody's looking for a revolution to attach themselves to recently. I sometimes wonder what's going on with the whole ISIS movement and people just getting a whole on board with that whole revolution, in a sense. Uh, whether it's actually for religious reasons that they're doing it, whether they've got religious convictions, or whether it's just a movement that they're 
They want to be a part of, you know, hey, I want to be a part of this, to be included in a group of people, to be actually doing something, you know. You can imagine uh, as soon as you put in your application to be part of it, like here's your suicide bomb vest and go find a crowd and off you go. It's not the most um, best career move necessarily, but a lot of people want to be a part of something. I mean, we saw it yesterday if you were voting, if you're part of that process and got to the Senate vote with your one and a half metre long bit of paper, different parties where there's lots of people with um, their own interests, uh, their focus, their revolution in a sense, the Marriage Equality Party, you know, very active. They've got one goal for marriage equality. The Cyclist Party, can't mention too much about that because there's a number of cyclists here, but I'll, you know what I'm talking about. The Hemp Party, self-explanatory. But a lot of people think Christians are just another one of those groups. They're a party, they're a group of people with common interests, they're on a revolution, they just want to live life the way they want and other people to do the same, that they're a part of a revolution. So it becomes a bit of a, what's your goal in life? What revolution are you going to sign up to? Or are you going to make your own one? So it's very interesting when people look at Christianity like that, they think that Jesus is some sort of, sort of revolutionary that he is the leader of a movement that just keeps going and going in a sense. But when we see Jesus, he's much more than a revolutionary. We're going to be looking at the Gospel of Mark this morning and, and for next week as well. <clears throat> and Mark's an interesting man. He's uh, one of Jesus' disciples, one of the 12 guys that followed Jesus around for a number of years. He had an account, encounter with Jesus that transformed his life, made radical changes to his life. So he decided to write it down and tell others. He wasn't like a journalist just following Jesus wherever he went, just writing stuff down. He didn't start writing until Jesus had died and was resurrected and ascended to heaven. And he goes, mate, this is unbelievable. It's incredible. I need to write this down so other people can see who Jesus is and what he came to do. We can see what Mark's trying to do in the opening verse. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. It's up on the screen there. Where Mark says, in the beginning... Uh, the, sorry the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Uh, gospel just means good news. This is the, the good news story about Jesus, the Christ. Christ is um, not just Jesus' last name. It's a description of him. He's, uh, he's Messiah. It's God's Messiah, which just means God's chosen one, God's leader. The Son of God, he says. This, this guy I'm going to tell you about, he says, is so significant that it's going to change world history. It's massive. And he says, I need to tell you about, so important, about who Jesus was, what he came to do, what he actually did, and what he continues to do. How he transformed lives and will transform your life if you look into him and see what he's about. And we can see what Jesus came to do and what he did down a few verses in uh, verse 15, so chapter 1, verse 15. When Jesus says, in Jesus' words, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. So what's his mission? To introduce us to the kingdom of God. He says there's two kingdoms in this world. There's a kingdom of this world. There's the kingdom of God that is not a different place. He's not trying to start up his own state or his own nation, his own group like that geographically. But there's a state of you you're living in the world and being a part of the world and pursuing the world, or you're living in God's kingdom, pursuing God, living for God. Included in the kingdom means you're a part of God's family. You're accepted in God's presence and you're one of his children. So he says, the kingdom of God 
This family of God is near that you can be a part of. So repent and believe, he says. Repent just means turn around. So we've all naturally got a tendency to go to the, the kingdom of the world because it's all around us, we pursue it. He says, no, turn around, repent. Pursue the kingdom of God and believe. Trust in what Jesus is saying and he can help you enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus starts by selecting 12 people, 12 men uh, that is going to make his disciples and he's taking them on a journey but not just a geographical journey but he's taking them from the kingdom of the world into the kingdom of heaven that's his goal that over the next few years as he's uh, teaching them they're seeing what he's doing seeing who he is he's taking from them from the kingdom of the world into the kingdom of heaven that's what he's after now these are big claims and they're not just words. Mark says, you've got to see this. You've got to see it. I've written it all down for you, that this guy can transform your life, this Jesus. Uh, so now we see how it unfolds. Then we're going to jump forward now to chapter 8 in Mark. It's halfway through his gospel. Uh, so Mark chapter 8, where we had our Bible reading, uh, where Jesus is healing a blind man. Now, we're always asking a question. Who is Jesus? What did he come to do? Uh, you know, how does it authenticate who he is? So if Jesus is the son of God and a blind man comes up to him and needs to be healed, God can do anything, right? If Jesus is the son of God, he should be able to heal the man. If Jesus is creator, as God is the creator, Jesus says, be healed, and he should be healed. Uh, if Jesus is the redeemer, bring people into the new kingdom, why can't he heal some physical attribute? Should, he should be able to do it. Then, as we had the story read to us, he spits on the man's eyes and says, do you see anything? Now, I don't know about you, but have you wondered why Jesus is even asking? If Jesus is who he says he is, why is he even asking, do you see anything? Like, shouldn't he say, look, you're healed. You can go home now. It's like a doctor who's not sure if his operation is a success or not. He's a bit doubtful. Do you see anything? Like, am I successful? This is Jesus, though. He says, do you see anything? He's not sounding too confident the guy says no oh i see but it's it's blurry then jesus has a second go and then we're told he can see clearly after two times you know well what's going on with jesus why has he taken two goes to get the job done this miracle what is going on here that we're not understanding See, there's more to this story than what's going on jesus is not just the leader of a revolution it's not a revolutionary that it's uh, always about him, but it's about, not about Jesus the leader or Jesus the wise man or Jesus the healer, but it's Jesus taking these 12 disciples on a journey from the kingdom of the world to the kingdom of heaven and he's always teaching them through what's going on. He takes every opportunity to turn things into a teaching event. So what's the teaching event for this one? Jesus isn't all he's cracked up to be? What's going on? We need to have a closer look at what's going on for the disciples because they're the ones watching on. And for here, we need to go back a little bit. Go back to the start of chapter 8. So if you've got your Bibles open there, I'll have a few verses on the screen. But you'll see the start of chapter 8, Jesus is feeding 4,000. So Jesus has been teaching. He gathers a whole lot of people, 4,000 men, it says, gathered. They have their family and friends all there with them. But in that culture, they only counted the men who was there. So a large crowd. Some of you might be thinking, hang on, I thought it was 5,000. That was a different time. Jesus fed 5,000 the first time. This is a second feeding miracle of 4,000. 
4,000 plus. People came to hear Jesus, to check him out, to see who he is. Uh, and they'd been there three days, some of them. Three days listening to Jesus, checking him out. And Jesus gets a bit worried. We're about to wrap up this conference, this session. Uh, about to send them home. He's worried they might pass out because they haven't had anything decent to eat. Instructs his disciples to go and get some food. And they're like, we're nowhere near shops to get food. Jesus says, well, you know I can do this. Gather up some food and what do you got? Some bread and some fish. Um, blesses the bread and the fish, puts it in baskets. And what do you know? There's enough food to feed everyone. Enough bread for everyone. They had some left over. Enough fish for everyone. It says people were very content. They are happy to be well fed. And then the disciples went around and collected seven basketfuls of bread left over. Now you kind of got to be wondering, what does that tell us about Jesus for the people, for the disciples? This is a great lesson of Jesus revealing who he is. Now if you were Jew in that day, you'd understand the Old Testament, you'd know that really well and go, well is Jesus really God as he claimed? Well actually in the Old Testament, it was God who provided Israel food, bread in fact, when they were wandering around in the desert for 40 years. God did it for them. Now, this guy's doing it for us, kind of echoes a God thing to do. Could Jesus be God that he's making this food? It authenticates uh, his message, his preaching, saying, this is the word of God that I'm telling you. And look, here's a miracle that only somebody like God could do. Only God could do. It authenticates who he is. Not anybody can go and just click their fingers and make bread and fish multiply only God can do that. So authenticates who he is. There's so many lessons come out of the feeding miracle. But then the story goes on. They hop in their boat and they move on. Uh, they go on to the next bit of land. <clears throat> uh, they stop. Jesus hops out and has some words with some Pharisees. They're like the religious leaders of that day. Now, the Pharisees, they want to test Jesus. Back in earlier in Mark, I think about chapter 3, uh, the Pharisees called Jesus Satan. They think, who's somebody who got power like that? They don't like the idea that he's from God, so they call him Satan. So these Pharisees are trying to test him and trick him, show us a sign. And Jesus knows you're only trying to twist the information to argue that I'm Satan. So he doesn't give him a sign, has some few harsh words by the sounds, hops back in the boat, and they're on the boat again to the next place. But this time, on the boat, we're actually told what they're talking about, because you know, every opportunity is a teaching opportunity for Jesus. He's talked to the, to the Pharisees. You got to, surely the disciples are looking to that conversation and going, wow, Jesus got harsh words for these guys. He's not showing them a sign what's going on. But then when we get in the boat uh, to get to the next place, we're actually told what they're talking about. Uh, we can pick it up from verse 14. Then it sounds like, if you use your imagination a little bit, the guys in the back of the boat just saying, look, I'm hungry. We've been travelling for ages. You know, I'm hungry. We've got some food. People in the front seat, not that it echoes anybody or a family in a car or anything like that, go, look, I'm sure there's some bread in the back you can have. Open up one of the baskets and there'll be bread that we had left over from the feeding miracle, feeding the 4,000. But then they realise, hang on, there's no baskets of bread in the back of the boat. Somebody has forgotten the bread. To keep in the boat with them we're going to go hungry now for a while but then jesus uses this opportunity as a teaching moment where he says and he's still thinking about his discussion with the pharisees be careful watch out for the yeast of the pharisees and that of herod 
You know what he's talking about? The yeast is a symbolic sort of language, a metaphor uh, for the corruption that they bring. So yeast is something so small, but it spreads through the whole bread and just gets through everything. That's what corruption does. And the Pharisees and Herod, Herod the governor, uh, they're corrupting what's going on, the message of God, because they seem to be more involved in man-made religions. It's man-made guidelines of how you get to know God. And Jesus is like, it's not like that at all. They're corrupting the message. They're like the yeast. But the disciples, uh, they start wondering what, what Jesus is talking about. He's going, we're busted. Jesus has realised we've forgotten the bread. He gave us one instruction. Pick up the leftovers of the bread, put it in the boat, and now he realises we've forgotten the bread. Whose fault is it? And Jesus sounds a bit cranky. Uh, he's not happy. Who forgot it? But then Jesus says it's not about the bread. It's not about the bread at all. Pick it up in verse 17. He says, why are you, have, uh, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hard? And he's saying... Do you pick up that bit of seeing language? We see this seeing language. Are you seeing what's going on? Do you still not see or understand? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears that fail to hear? And don't you remember, he goes on to say, he says, you've seen all this stuff with your eyes. I know you've seen it. So he reminds them, verse 19. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. You know, we were there. We saw it. We picked it all up. We were the ones doing it. We saw it. <coughs> Excuse me. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered seven. They saw it. And he said to them, do you still not understand? It's not some magic that he's doing. It's not some uh, trick that he's going around. Hey, we'll never be hungry ever again because I can just walk around and bread whenever you want it it's what does this message say about me you're seeing it all but don't you understand what's going on they were there but couldn't see with their own eyes they could see it with their own eyes but they couldn't see and understand but then what happens next get it back onto land they meet a blind man jesus spits in the blind man's eyes and he can see but can't see clearly I'll give the, guy, the, the kids with those worksheets, if you're trying to work out what is this talk all about, uh, that first box, if you want to draw a picture, uh, the Bindi's God, if you want to draw a picture of Jesus healing a blind man, uh, and if you're a boy, you'll probably want to include Jesus spitting in the blind man's eyes to heal it. That would be really cool. I'm not saying you should do that yourself, but uh, it's part of the story. I mean, you've got to do those sort of things, right? Uh, but Jesus spits in the blind man's eyes. You can see... But he can't see clearly. So Jesus does it a second time, spits, rubs his eyes again, and we pick it up uh, in verse 25. We're told then his eyes were open. We're told three times how clear his sight is. His eyes were open, his sight was restored, he saw everything clearly. Three times, don't miss it. The first time, you could see men like trees, you know, it's fuzzy. So then we've got to ask the question what is this miracle about? Is the miracle about Jesus and Jesus' power? is a miracle about the blind man. Maybe the blind man had some sin that was hard to overcome. It's not about the blind man. It's not about Jesus. Or is the miracle about actually the disciples, that it's an illustration for them, going, look, this is you guys. You can see, but you're not seeing clearly. 
you're going to have to have your eyes wide so you can see what's going on, to see and understand. So when we follow the story, we see Jesus giving the disciples a bit of a spray. You need to see and you need to understand. He showed them the miracle about understanding and seeing clearly. But as they're walking along the road, Jesus checks them out. Who do people say I am? So you've been seeing, can you understand now? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets, a bit like, um, it's like an election poll, really. Who do people, do they like me? What are they saying about me? There goes this voting day now. Who do you say I am? What's your vote? <clears throat> what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. The Christ, this word Messiah, God's chosen one. God's leader that he's appointed. He's got it right, hasn't he? That's what Mark said right at the start of his gospel. Jesus Christ. So it looks like Peter can finally get it. He's been around Jesus, he's seen Jesus, that his eyes have been wiped open, that he sees clearly. But how clearly does he see? So he says, well, if you understand that I'm God's man, I'm his messenger, uh, I'm his son here, he goes on to say in verse 33, he began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's another name for God's messenger, uh, for God, God's man, that he must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. It's the Old Testament when it talked about the Messiah, the coming one, he's going to be a suffering one, suffering servant, that he was going to lay down his life so that others might live. Jesus says, this is what I've come to do. I've come to lay down my life. I'll be killed. But I will rise again because I am God's servant, God's messenger, and he'll be satisfied. How does this work with Peter? Does he really understand? Jesus spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. It's like, Jesus, don't start, start talking about this death thing. Things are starting to come together for us. We've got plenty of food. We're popular. All things are going well. You're healing people. Don't be going talking about dying now. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan. I mean, that's some rebuke. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in things of mind, things in mind, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men, he says. Now, get behind me, Satan's worth a whole new message. That's what we're going to focus on next week. What does he mean, get behind me, Satan? It's another message that's going to blow our minds and transform us. But here we see another example. Peter sees, he sees, but it's not clear, is it? He sees, but he can't see clearly of what's going on with Jesus. Peter's thinking like a man. He's still thinking like the kingdom of the world. He can't see the kingdom of God yet. Can't understand it. So he's confused. <clears throat> he doesn't understand yet. But they won't understand until they see it actually happening. Until Jesus does die on the cross. Until Jesus does rise again. And then they get it. The disciples will get it by the end of the gospel, by the end of the story. That's when Peter and Mark and all the other disciples start telling people. They've got it. Their eyes been revealed. They've gone from the kingdom of the world to the kingdom of God. Now they've had their lives transformed. They want to start telling other people. See, other people brought into the kingdom. It's not just a message for them. They're not just followers of you know, the whole idea of disciples being just a follower. They're not just followers of Jesus. 
They've got to see and understand what Jesus is on about. And once they do understand, they become leaders of other people, getting them from the kingdom of the world to the kingdom of God. They start writing and teaching and preaching and instructing people. And I love it how Mark tells a story, how he doesn't pretend how all the disciples have got it together and how great they are and they got it first go. About how it's something we can relate to, how we often, we can see Jesus, we can see the message a bit, but often it takes a while for us to actually understand, to see it clearly and go, wow, this is more than a guy leading a revolution, but he's a guy taking me into the kingdom of God I see it, I understand it, and my life's transformed by it. I'm a new person. That's what the disciples' journey was. That's our journey too. And Mark tells it in a real live way, a way I can relate to, being a slow learner. But now we want to talk about Southside as a church because this is our mission. This is our journey. This is our story from the passage We see how people have been transformed. We're just halfway along the story. See but can't see, but they will see clearly when that happens, they're transformed. A lot of people think church is just about a place you go to for community, a place where I might be connected, a good place for my family. But no, this is not just a church. It's more than a church. We're on a journey. We're people who had our eyes cleaned, our eyes Open, so we can see clearly that Jesus is not a revolutionary, but somebody who's transforming my life, made me someone new in a new creation, a new kingdom, the kingdom of God, that I can be called God's children and be part of his family. He changes us. And when we are on that journey and we get changed, we realise the need then to see others brought into the kingdom as well. This message is too good for us just to sit on. It's our mission as a church is what's outlined here in the passage. We want to see people come in to see Jesus, not only to see him, but to see and understand Jesus, that he has come to bring you into a new kingdom, the kingdom of God, that he does it through his death and resurrection, that believing in him, that we do this U-turn, repentance, stop chasing the kingdom of the world, and we start facing the kingdom of God and we start following him. That when we get that message, we go, this is too big for us. We want everybody inside and outside the church to experience this. Now, I know there's lots of people who uh, tick the box that call themselves Christians. They might associate themselves with a church, thinking that it's a good place to be. Uh, You might be one of those people here, part of our family at Southside. And we're thankful that you are a part of our church family. But I want to ask you the question, are you seeing Jesus clearly? Is he transforming your life? Or is he just giving us a model of life to follow? Because if you think Jesus is just somebody we talk about that is a good example for us, you're not seeing him clearly. You know, you get to see, but the vision's still blurry. We want you to see Jesus clearly. See that he is the Christ, the Messiah, God sent one, who wants to bring you into God's kingdom. We want to be on that journey with you and see you do that. But we also want those inside and outside this building to experience that as well. So that's our agenda. That's what we're on about. We have this thing called 1% Mission. Uh, One of the reasons talking about that today is we used to talk about it a lot, but we haven't been talking about it much lately. That's my problem, uh, my fault. But within uh, a radius of here, we live in a, 
an amazing opportunity to spread the gospel. Within eight kilometres of here, there's over 300,000 people. Uh, within 10 minutes of here, by the time you jump in your car, drive here, there's over 100,000 people. Now, we started saying, uh, let's pray that God will use us and that we will work towards reaching 1% of our community with the name of Jesus, that we'll see them brought into the kingdom of God. We started talking about that when we were about 50 people, and it's like, God is actually doing this stuff. It's a big mission, a thousand people. And then we get to a thousand, we'll, we'll talk about the three, 300,000, the 3,000 that we can uh, win for Christ out of that. But we pray and we work towards that God will use us to, to, to connect a thousand people with Jesus, the 1% thing. But this is a vision talk, talking about what, who we are and what we are about as a church. But we spend a lot of time on this passage in the gospel, talking about understanding Jesus, because it's all about Jesus our vision. It's not about Southside. It's all about seeing people come into the kingdom. It's not about seeing Southside being a big church. So that's why we do things. Uh, it sets the agenda of what we do. Uh, things like our kids' ministry. We need to have uh, a look at this because we want to raise our kids as disciples of Jesus. I had a really cool graph I was able to show you. Um, my PowerPoint didn't like the graph, so you have to just look at some stats. This is a breakup of our congregation, of our church. You might notice there, between the ages of 1 to 5, 21% of our congregation are under 5. Uh, that means 30% are under 10. I see 1 in 3 including uh, the youth age, so up to under 20, we have over 100 people that we want to, that in our congregation, that we want to see raised, not only seeing Jesus, but understanding Jesus and coming into the kingdom. That is a massive opportunity for us within our own walls to see people's lives transformed. Uh, our youth, um, I'm going to try and get Benny to do some stuff next week. Uh, to tell us a little bit about what's going on in youth. Half our youth group is not from church. We're seeing lives changed there. Uh, people seeing Jesus, understanding Jesus on that journey, coming into the kingdom of God. We could also talk about uh, lots of things about what's going on in our growth groups, seeing people on that journey, seeing Jesus, understanding Jesus, coming into the kingdom, growing that. The ladies' ministries with their teaching, the owls and the fellowship they enjoy, uh, our serving, our serving rosters, how people, when they get what it's about, it's all about following a leader that gave himself for us, we give ourselves for others. You might not know just turning up here, but there's about 25 people who serve each Sunday morning to make the Sunday morning possible. Uh, many of that's behind the scenes. All because we want people to come in here to hear Jesus, to see Jesus, and to understand who he is and come into the kingdom of God. Uh, it's the same with our building. Uh, we don't make a big deal about our building uh, week to week, but we do have a picture of what you might look at next week. Next week, as Brad mentioned, after church, uh, we're going to head on over because we want to show you what's been going on. It's not just a big empty warehouse anymore. If you haven't been over to the property, come over and check it all out. We're going to have morning tea over there and thank God uh, for what's been going on over there. That's an amazing opportunity. Massive building, 450 seats, huge opportunity for us that's getting closer and closer every day. But it's not about a building it's about enabling us to have more people connected in seeing Jesus, understanding Jesus, coming into the kingdom of God. It's all about seeing the kingdom growing. So why am I saying all this sort of stuff? For two reasons. One, I want you to know, if you're here today and you're not sure about what's going on, it's good to be a part of something that seems to be growing and moving. 
But if you're not seeing Jesus at work in your life, in transforming you, welcoming you into the kingdom of God, come and talk to me, come and talk to somebody you know at church to make sure you can see Jesus clearly. He's more than just somebody leading a revolution. But if you see Jesus clearly and you want to see other people come into the kingdom like you are, that you've experienced his grace and his transformation, that we start thinking about how we serve others at church. I know we've just done our rosters. Uh, it's good that people come along and do their jobs. But it's more than a job. I see it as an opportunity to help other people come in, sit in here, see Jesus, understand Jesus, come into the kingdom. That we talk in our conversations about Jesus, whether it's here at church with our neighbours, our friends and family at our workplace. Talk about what Jesus is doing in your life. That we encourage people uh, in their own walks with Jesus, with their wrestling and their questions to pursue Jesus, try and see him clearly. And with our giving, because it's only through our giving that enables lots of what we do at church to be done. It resources a lot of things that we do that with the aim of helping equip and build up the church on their mission, but as us, as we show Jesus and reach Jesus. Now, I'll, talk, I'll just flag something we'll talk a little bit about more next week. It's been a great journey this last 12 or 18 months. See God growing his church here. See the amount of kids we've got here. It's an amazing thing to that. And uh, budget-wise and resourcing-wise, staff-wise, planning ahead that that's all going ahead uh, in leaps and bounds. But the interesting thing is, over the last 12 months with our giving uh, Ever since I've been here for 15 years or so, our giving's always increased every year. Uh, we've budgeted for a slight increase to help resource our church. This year's the first year our giving's not only missing our budget, but we're actually we're not actually missing what we gave last year, even though our church has grown uh, and things are happening. So we're actually going backwards, which we need to talk about a little bit more some other time. But I think that's mainly because we don't make a big deal about money. If it's your first time here or visiting with us, I'm sorry that you're, you're getting this, but we don't talk about money a lot. And I think it's just out of ignorance. Oh, it actually needs money to make this thing work. Um, so I need you to think about uh, your giving and helping out th with the mission, bring other people into the kingdom of God. But it's not about Southside either. It's not about us trying to be a big church. Just the way we resource uh, Providence Church. We help Mikey, who's planted a church in Sunnybank. So new church plant, they're only just over 12 months old. They start off with 10 people. They're regularly getting over 35 people now, seeing people come into the kingdom. That's part of our mission. He's helping us reach our 1%. We've got uh, Ben Smith down at Logan. That we're working with the Logan Prezi Church in helping him settle in down there and get a place down there. That's where uh, Michael Madden and Brad are down there this morning with that congregation. Logan has another 300,000 people that need to hear about Jesus. So it's about reaching the kingdom. It's not just about us, big church. It's about seeing people come into the kingdom. And I want you to be a part of it because it's an exciting journey. How about we pray now and commit those things to our great God and pray for each other that we're seeing and understanding Jesus clearly. Dear Father, we thank you for Jesus again that he reveals your character and your love. And Lord, sometimes we confess that we don't understand, we don't see you clearly, and that we struggle with that whole concept of how I fit into the new kingdom, how I fit into God's family, or how, I even, uh, how you're at work in, in my life. So Lord, I pray that you would wipe our eyes, give us clear eyes to see Jesus clearly and understand and believe. 
Help us to do that U-turn, Lord, to steer us away from the kingdom of the world, to focus on the kingdom of God, something that has eternal ramifications. But Lord, we just pray that while we're here and now, that you give us a heart for the lost, a heart that wants to see others come into this kingdom as well. Lord, that we'd be available for you to use us in whatever way possible, that you would uh, use us to reach that 1%, a thousand people coming into the kingdom of God, that you would use us, a small, humble church. Lord, please send us your spirit, Lord. Use us in mighty ways, whether it's through our serving, our conversations, our finances, Lord. Help us glorify you and live for you in all that we do. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.